0: It's not meant to be abnormal when it comes to stories of people like you or you or you or me. That's not meant to be abnormal. It's meant to be somewhat normal uh, for the Christian because the Holy Spirit, the Bible, talks about us hearing from God, Spirit, the Holy Spirit talking to us. So um, just when that movie, when you watch the movie and you see things and there's part of the movie where he even says to his wife, do you think I'm crazy because I'm hearing this stuff? So what we've been doing the last few weeks, the last few months, actually, did a series on uh, Jesus in Focus. This month in July, I've been kind of shifting a little bit and calling it the Holy Spirit in Focus. And uh, what is the Holy Spirit? What did Jesus tell us about the Holy Spirit? What did we learn from the Bible about the Holy Spirit? And what is his role in the lives of ordinary people like you and me in ordinary days like July of 2014? Not supernatural moments, not fantasy, not Hollywood, but just realistic times of you and me. So, and there's a couple of things I'll highlight that we've done this last few weeks. Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, before he ascended into heaven, Jesus told the disciples and indirectly then through them to us, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And he was telling them, hey, wait, I'm leaving now. This is after his death and resurrection. Wait, there's something that I'm going to send. And he had talked about it before in the Gospels. I'm sending a gift. Something's going to come to you. And, but wait, because you'll have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that, even at that time, the disciples, probably not unlike some of us, are like, I don't get what he's saying. They didn't really get what he was saying. Because the follow-up conversation of this particular passage, you can tell they didn't get what he was saying. But he's telling them something is going to happen significant. And the Holy Spirit's going to part of, be a part of that. Then in Acts chapter 2, if you know the book of Acts, a uh, pretty supernatural event. We call it Pentecost. So when they're all in this upper room. They're waiting and it's the, it's the Jewish holiday of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit dramatically comes upon them. There's like these tongues of fire, it says. They start speaking in languages they don't know. It's very dramatic. It's very supernatural. Um, And then it says this. Peter's talking. The people, all all the people around are like trying to figure what's going on with these people speaking different languages. Some of the people who are observing, who are nearby say, oh, they're just drunk. They're all drunk. And Peter says, no, it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. So they're obviously acting significantly different. And people were trying to figure out what was going on with these 120-ish or so who were in that upper room or in that area. And then Peter explains to the people in part, hey, this is what's happening. And he says this. He says what's happening is is a fulfillment of what the Bible tells us in the prophet Joel. So all these people that have been listening would have been Jewish people. And they knew who Joel the prophet was. And they would have even known this passage where Paul or Peter quotes them he so said, this is what the prophet Joel said would happen, and it just, it's happening now. And he says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. It's the very thing Jesus promised them just not too far before. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Prophesy simply. Give me a, I'll give you a simple definition. It's speaking to others on behalf of God, hearing, repeating something you sense God telling you to say. So, again, let's, it's, it's maybe a weird meter thing, but it doesn't have to have, like, high drama to it. My guess is to some all of you have prophesied to someone, heard something God was asking you to share with others. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So it's this sense of when this happened, certain supernatural realities are going to happen more frequently. Dreams, hearing from God, seeing visions the kind of things that if you tell people that's what's happening to you now will get you committed probably to the mental ward of a hospital. I hear voices, I see dead people, or whatever. You know, from I hear voices, I see things, I saw this. And we're usually very careful to relate those things if you ever had those experiences because you're not sure how people are going to receive it and whether they're going to be like, yeah, maybe. So... What we talked about the last couple of weeks, I talked about a number of things that happened in the book of Acts. There's all of these people being a part of this. And one of the things was—go to the next slide, Jay. One of the things was you can expect supernatural guidance. talked about this a few weeks ago. That because of what Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit being a part of our lives, and the promise that Peter just talked about that, from the prophet Joel— that there will be supernatural guidance that happens in significant ways for people who are followers of Jesus. And then it also I also talked last week about um, dynamic conversions. So today I'm going to just share two stories from the book of Acts that kind of blend both those together. And again, I want you to hear these stories not as if it's a Hollywood fantastic kind of thing, but it's something that happened that I believe Scripture is telling us is somewhat normative of the Christian life. All right, so the first one is this: um, Acts chapter nine. And this is the conversion of Saul. Go back, Jay. Go back to the other one because I'm going to read it. Yeah, I just on this one. So Acts chapter nine. Saul. Uh, if you don't know who Saul was, Saul was not a follower of Jesus. If anything, he would have been given the label as most hostile to the followers of Jesus. He was quite. He was a very religious Jew. But wanted nothing to do with Jesus or anybody who followed him. As a matter of fact, he was hostile and he was given authority by the religious elite to arrest those people. All right, so here, let's just read the the account. Just follow along and just kind of listen along. All right, chapter 9. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. All right, so that's Saul, eager to kill the followers of Jesus. So he went to the high priest. He requested letters addressed to the synagogues in Damascus, which is in modern-day Syria, asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. He wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. So Saul, um, not a good guy, hostile, wanted to kill Christians, wanted to arrest women, wanted to arrest men, bring them back to Jerusalem. He was also, if you may recall, he was also present when Stephen was stoned to death by the jewish people by the jewish religious people who didn't like the fact that stephen was talking about jesus all right so let's get a realistic picture of paul um probably would have been voted least likely to be a follower of jesus at that time so step back for a second think of somebody in your life that you know personally that you would at least put on the top top of your list ah that person's probably least likely to know jesus ever know jesus who, who in your life would you say, yeah, that they seem really, really, really far from God and maybe they're even hostile, all right? So put that person or persons in your mind. Then it says, as he was approaching Damascus, Paul, on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice, heard a voice, heard a voice, saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. The men with Saul stood there speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground. When he opened his eyes, he was blind, so his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days. Okay, now go to the next slide, Jay. Okay, here's. sometimes I like to see the conversation of the scripture in kind of this script kind of conversation form. And maybe even putting yourself into the spot there and kind of imagining your own conversations with God. All right, so flash of light, here's a voice. And God said, this voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's simpler response was, who who are you? What is it? Who are you talking to me? There are times when I believe God gets our attention and we have some sense that something is getting our attention, but we don't know what it is. And not unlike Saul, maybe an appropriate response is, God, is that you? Because I'm I'm sensing something, is that you? Now, granted, Saul had a pretty dramatic thing happen, but he still didn't know what it was. And then God simply says, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go. I want to highlight that word go because it seems like when Jesus... When God talks to people, in many instances in the Bible, the word go, there's a a call to action. It's not, God's just not having a coffee time conversation. There's a scent, there's a mission, a call to action. Go into the city and you'll be told what you are to do. So again, the Bible is full of times where God says something, people respond, God responds. Not unlike what could happen or what does happen in your and my life, where God says something, we question, we're not sure. We want to know what he's talking about. We want clarification. It's okay to ask for that. Now leave that slide up there, Jane. Let me, let me read the next story, then we'll go to the next slide. All right, so Saul's kind of, he's blind now. Um, something's changed in his life. Now, verse 10 of chapter 9. I'm, I'm going slow here because I'm trying to, I got these new glasses, I have these progressive lenses to read through, and I can't quite find the sweet spot. So I'm not like... I am 52. That's all I'll say. I'm 52. I'm trying. I'm trying. Now, there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias. All right, say the name Ananias. Ananias. This is not the same Ananias that dropped dead chapters of four for lying to the Holy Spirit. It's a different Ananias. All right. The Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Again, don't know what a vision looked like. My guess is some of you may have had visions Maybe you saw something, Just I mean, saw a picture of something. Maybe you thought, maybe it was a person, maybe a situation. I think God communicates to us more than we realize. So it wasn't like this multicolored, five-minute kind of dream he was having, but it could have been a very quick vision, quick prompting, a quick picture in his mind. And Ananias says, yes, Lord. And then God says, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. God often speaks in very specific terms. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He is praying to me right now. I have shown him in a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and laying hands on him so he can see again. So Ananias was told by this in this vision, go find this man Saul. Ananias knew about Saul, what you and I just found out about Saul in terms of who he was and his reputation. He was out to kill Christians. So, of course, Ananias responds, but Lord exclaimed Ananias. I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem and he's authorized by the leading priests to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings as well as the people of Israel and I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. Now go to this next part then. Here's Ananias now. God calls him and God, God often calls people by name Ananias, yes, Lord, go to Straight Street to the house of Judas, ask for Saul. Ananias responds, you're crazy. God, you're crazy. I've heard about this guy. Times where God may ask you to do something and your first response is, God, that's that's crazy. That could be suicide for me to go to do that. It Could be financial suicide for me, God. If I do what you ask me to do, it could be social suicide for me to do that, God. If I, you want me to do that, you want me to have a conversation, a conversation with them. You want me to say that. You want me to tell people what about my life? You want me to do what with my money? You want me to do what with my career? I, I mean, I had this major, but now you want me to do this? I'm guessing we've uh, many of us have had a similar kind of feeling of Ananias. God, I've, you, can we back up on that, God? Can you send that message again? Because I think I heard it wrong. But God simply said, no, go. There's that word again, go and do what I say. And because Ananias obeyed this incredibly confusing message from God, or potentially confusing, or what felt like suicidal confusing, and he, go, he goes, he finds Saul, he follows the directions. Again, God is, is, does God give those specific directions today to people? Does he tell you where to go? I think he can. I think he does. I don't think, he, I don't think we have all these specific stories in the book of Acts and then God just tells us, figure it out. Go figure it out. But he gives very specific directions. Saul was very specifically told to wait for Mananias Ananias gets there, he prays for Saul. Saul regains his sight. we never hear about Ananias again in the Bible. We hear a lot about Saul, change his name to Paul. But again, this dramatic supernatural guidance that happened through a vision. Um, if Ananias wouldn't have obeyed, would God have had someone else go talk to Saul, Paul? Perhaps, we don't know. But who's to say when God asks you to do something He's asking you to do it. He's not just throwing out a general invite to see who's willing, but sometimes there's something that he knows you can do, and only you can do it in the way that he wants it done. We don't know that. So, again, the question of how did Ananias know, because the questions you would have and I would have, be like, wait a minute, if, if this isn't a vision, how does he know it was God? I think there's times where we have this internal sense a something being communicated is different than just normal random thoughts. All right, so that was story number one. Saul becomes Paul because he has a vision, Ananias has a vision, and God uh, uses both those to bring healing to Saul, and then s- the rest is somewhat history in the New Testament with Paul and his work. All right, next story. Uh, go to the next slide, Acts 10. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius. All right, the Romans weren't Jews. They weren't accepted as religious people. They were way outside of the reach of God, according to the Jewish people. And if anything, they would even hate the Romans because the Romans were occupying their country. and They didn't want them there. So Cornelius is in a category of, like Saul, really, really far from God. All right. Saul was in a really far from God category. Cornelius, really far from God category. Who in your life, again, is in that category? Who would you think, yeah, that person's least likely to ever follow Jesus? I can't imagine how that would ever happen. Maybe they're hostile to Jesus. Maybe they're just incredibly steeped in sinful, stru- self-destructive behavior. And it's the last person that you think could ever follow Jesus. Or would. I mean, yeah, the person next door to you who goes to church occasionally, yeah, they might. But not the guy who works in the office three doors down from me. I stay away from him because he, I can't imagine how God could ever get through to him. So this is Cornelius. He was a captain of the Italian regiment. He was a devout, God-fearing man. Alright, so he's a God-fearing man, but he wasn't in the in-group of Jews. Okay, what does that mean? Are there God-fearing people that aren't yet followers of Jesus that maybe you know. And I'm, I'm not saying that's the test for getting into heaven after you die, so to speak, but it seems like somehow this non-Jewish person had already got God's attention. Just like I believe there are people who are not yet Christians who have God's attention because of something inside of them seeking after God. So, so Cornelius, uh, he's God-fearing, As was everyone in his household. He gave generously to the poor and he prayed regularly. One afternoon about 3 o'clock. So Luke wrote the book of Acts. So Luke must have researched this. Found out this is when it happened. He had a vision. Cornelius had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. So obviously the angel was not like some plump, plump chumpy, uh, Victorian-looking angel that would nobody be afraid of. Cornelius is a military man. He's in terror of what he saw. So somehow this angel had a pretty awesome sense to it. What is it, sir? He said to the angel. And the angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa to summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. Again, incredibly detailed that God's giving directions to to this man, Cornelius. So Cornelius sees an angel. Do we see angels? I don't know. Maybe you have. I'm guessing we probably haven't, at least as far as I know, seeing some awesome kind of image that you know is an angel that you're scared to death of. But is it impossible? No, I don't think it's impossible. The invisible world is just as real as the visible. So he says, what is it? The angel replied... um, yeah, go, go to Peter's house. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier, and he told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Okay, now let's look at, let's look at the Cornelius conversation. God again calls him by name. God gets our attention. He doesn't say, hey, whoever wants to listen to me. He speaks specifically to people like you and me. Cornelius, what is it, sir? Um, your prayers and gifts to the poor have been received. Send some men to Joppa. Some a man named Simon Peter, Cornelius, as soon as the angel was gone, he sent two men off to Joppa. If you notice, interestingly, with Saul, with Ananias, and now with Cornelius, and many times in the Bible, it often says, after they got a word from God, then without hesitation, they did this. They did the next thing. And how many times do we hear from God? Do I hear from God? And we're not quite sure, so we don't act on it right away we don't act on it and then it comes to our mind a few days later then maybe a week later and then it kind of dissipates into nothingness but it seems like that the people that God honors throughout scripture are people that when they hear something they respond quite quickly often the word immediately show, immediately they did this here it said he, in, the, in the text he did it without hesitation he did the next thing he did what God asked him to do And again, you might ask, and I might ask, well, if I was sure it was God, I would, of course, do the next thing. And there again, I wonder whether we would. Because I think sometimes it's like, well, I I think that's God. I'm pretty sure it's God, but I'll wait. I'll hold on that. I'll just hold on it. But Cornelius, as soon as the angel was gone, he did what it was asked to do. Now, so the next day, as Cornelius' messengers went nearing the town, Peter, who Cornelius, of course, is going to see, Went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon. So it was 3 p.m. the day before. Cornelius had this vision. Angels told him to send men to Joppa. They're on their way. The next day at noon, Peter's praying. He was hungry. and Who knows why Luke put that in there? Did, did Luke talk to Peter? And Peter's like, yeah, I remember being hungry. He was hungry. But while but while. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Again, have you had a trance before? Have I had a trance before? I don't know. But he knew something supernatural was communicating to him. So I don't know if he was awake. I don't know if he was half asleep and had a dream, and that's what they called a trance. Something supernatural was happening, and he knew something was happening. In this trance... He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. And if you know anything about the Jews, they were told not to eat certain kind of animals that were unclean, which inclu- were some were included in this vision he had, in his trance. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Peter, no, Lord. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. I am religious. I am, I only do. I stick to the rules. And in this case, I'm not, I'm not saying that's bad. But Peter was saying, I've never done anything you've told us not to do. I'm not going to eat that. Of course, the meaning of the vision wasn't to eat the stuff, but you'll see what God's getting to. But the voice spoke again, do not call something unclean. If God has made it clean, the same vision was repeated three times and the sheet was suddenly pulled up into heaven. Peter was very perplexed. Like this vision is done. He has no idea what that means. It's like, well, am I supposed to eat? It happens three times. And all he has is this symbolism of don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And Peter's probably thinking back to what he knows the Old Testament, but you told us those things were unclean. Those animals. So are you changing something, God? What's go- so he's perplexed. Again, not unlike anything you and I might have felt when we have sense God was asking us to do something. Perplexed, kind of like, well, I think I'm supposed to do this, but it doesn't make any sense right now to me. Then, just then, the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house. Really good timing on God's part. Standing outside the gate, they asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Now, let's get back to the story here, too. I'm guessing these two guys that were sent by Cornelius to go to this stranger's house and ask for a guy named Simon Peter probably felt somewhat, at least a little bit, foolish. Yes, is there a guy named Simon Peter here? Again, times maybe God's asked you to do something, and when you actually get to doing it, it feels a little weird. You might look stupid if it's not right. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzling over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, Three men have come looking for you. Get up and go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, I've sent them. So Peter's upstairs on the top of the roof. They're down at the door asking somebody, is Simon Peter here? And the Holy Spirit says, hey, there's guys downstairs. Go right downstairs right now. There's guys that are coming for you. Go with them without hesitation. Is there like a plan to this, God? I mean, what's going to happen? Who are these guys, God? What are they going to ask of me? Where are we going? What are we doing? I mean, that's what I want to know from God. I want the itinerary. I don't want just the next thing. I want the next thing. And I want the reason for the next thing. I want the meaning for the next thing. And I want all the details for the next thing. I want the complete GPS printout. I want to know everything. But Peter, God just says to Peter, no, just go down with them. They're looking for you. Go down with them. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And then they just tell the story. Well, we were sent by a man named Cornelius. He told us he had this vision. and an angel talked to him. He was supposed to come get you. So now Peter's starting to make sense of what he didn't figure out before. He goes to Cornelius' house. Jews were not to go to homes of Gentiles. Gentiles were outside of the reach of God. They were the unclean people that the vision was about. It wasn't about eating food. It was about the Jewish people sensing they're unclean. But now God's saying, no, I want you to tell Cornelius and his family about Jesus. What we read in the rest of the account is Cornelius becomes a follower of Jesus and his family. And now what was thought to be unclean, people way out of the reach of God are now folded into the family of God. So now let's do the uh, the, uh, Peter part. Go to the next slide here. Here's the Peter conversation. Again, insert your name, insert yourself into the Peter part. God says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, no, I've never eaten anything forbidden by our laws. That can't be you, God. That can't be you telling me to do this because what I think you're telling me is something I've always felt my own religious scruples telling me, no, you can't do that. Now, of course, God's never going to ask you to sin or be involved in moral evil. But there may be times God may ask you to do something that at least in your religious understanding, and I'm separating religion from true followers of Jesus, well, I would, I, I've never eaten anything forbidden by our laws. I remember, I remember when I was in college and uh, I was umpiring a baseball game with a guy who I knew wasn't a Christian. When the game was over, I was, he said, hey, you want to the, uh, go to such and such bar and get some pizza and beer with me? My religious scruples at that time was Christians don't go to bars. And I was 21, so it wasn't an issue. And I said, no. I, I, and he looked at me like, I'm, I'm offering you to pay for your dinner. I just want to talk. I, I have no idea. Maybe the guy wanted to talk about spiritual things. He knew I was a Christian. But I said, I've never done that. It's forbidden in my church. We don't go to bars. It wasn't forbidden by Jesus. It was forbidden in my church. Did I miss an opportunity? I don't know. The guy's name is J.D. Cox. I, I, I've never talked to him since but it was a religious scruple I was unwilling to push past. It wasn't really the spirit of Jesus that was telling me not to go. It was, I have this scruple. This is not what Christians do. So Peter's like, never, I've never never done this. And then God says, but if I say it's acceptable, don't say it isn't. I'm telling you now, Peter, it's okay. Peter still is perplexed. He can't figure out God because he's confused and that's okay. God often puts us in those zones where we're trying to figure out This is what I used to believe, but now I think God's telling me this, so maybe something here wasn't right. Three men have come looking for you. Go with them without without hesitation. So, here's the question of the morning. Next slide. Are you willing to hear from God however he wants to communicate with you and to do whatever he asks without hesitation? Uh, Again, I don't We believe primarily God will always speak through his word. I'm not saying through text on paper. He'll never say anything inconsistent with what he's already said. But if God were to communicate you through some supernatural means, maybe you have a dream that just kind of sticks with you, and you can't shake it, and you're trying to figure out, is this God, is this you? Or maybe you have a sense, what I'll call a prompting, or a visual picture of a situation that you just think, I can't seem to shake that the way I say it. Remember the Etch-a-Sketch games? The, the little things that twist. You have a picture or a, a prompting and no matter what you do, you can't seem to shake it off your spirit. Then's a good chance that's from God. And are you willing that if God wants to tell you something through a means that seems to be around the back door through the supernatural word, are you willing to hear that? And would you even tell God, I'll, I'll, I'll hear whoever you want to talk to me. And... Once he tells you, will you do whatever he asks without hesitation. And I'm convinced in part that God often doesn't go back, that God often doesn't tell us uh, the first part. He doesn't tell us things. He doesn't communicate to us in certain ways. If he already knows, we will not obey without hesitation. Why would God send a message your way if he already knows there's a, there's a resistance in you to step out and do anything that might make you look foolish or might make you take a risk with your money, with your relationships, with your reputation, whatever. And are you willing to tell God, hey, whatever you tell me to do, I will do without hesitation. I need to know it's you, God. I need to know. I need confirmation. I'm not, I'm not saying I doubt. I just need confirmation. I need to know it's you. And I'll do it without hesitation. It's interesting. I was, uh, was reading a book this week. I finished this week. It's a really, really, really good book. It's called Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. It's by a, a former uh, Muslim who uh, now works with Ravi Zacharias' ministry. It was a fascinating book because what he was saying was in the, in the Islamic culture, there's a lot of weight put on dreams and visions. And they interpret them in certain ways. So he decided, when he was trying to figure out if Jesus was who he says he was, because the Islamic faith would say Jesus is not the son of God and other things, he started asking God, okay, God, give me a dream. Give me a dream so I know what's true. I know what to do. And what's fascinating, he, he had a dream. He had a couple dreams. Actually, he had three dreams that all indicated... The steps he was supposed to take toward Jesus, but he still kind of resisted because he still wasn't sure, but he couldn't shake. He could not shake those dreams off his the etch-a-sketch of his soul. But I found it interesting that he asked God for, I need some supernatural direction here. It's not inappropriate for you to ask God those same things. It's not not necessarily that you're going to always ask God, God, okay, I need to figure out God if I should... Uh, Go to Wendy's or McDonald's today. So give me a dream or a vision so I know. it's not, that, not though, But if it's a significant thing, ask. God, I need, leader. I need guidance on this. It's a big issue. And God, if you want to tell me through something that sh- jumps out of your word to me, if you want to tell me through a dream I have or a vision I have or a picture I can't shake out of my head, or if you want one of my friends or somebody I know from church to come talk to me and they say something that seems out of the blue but it fits right where I'm at, I'm going to hear it, God, because I want to hear from you. Are you willing to tell God that? That I'll hear from you however you want me to hear from you. And I'll guarantee you, when those things happen, you you know. You know there's some sense of, I think that was God. uh, I'll, I'll finish with this, and I think it's good every once in a while to kind of tell a little bit of the beginnings of Exodus Church. But as many times as I've missed God and missed on his promptings, there was the time when Exodus started... The exodus. We, we've been meeting for 10 years, but the beginning of Exodus was about 12 or 13 years ago. And through a lot of circumstances, I felt like God was saying I was supposed, we were supposed to start a new church in Bloomington. So if you're new to Exodus, Exodus didn't exist, ex- exist 12 years ago, except in the mind of God. And, and uh, I remember going through a, a period of weeks where I was like, God, I think you're wanting me to start a new church, but that's crazy if any of you would have known me then, I was not a church planting person. I wasn't an entrepreneur. I'm introverted. I'm shy. I don't like to do new things. I don't like to take risks. But I I had this sense through some things that were, had happened and some things I, well, I'm going to deal on that. I just thought, this is what God wants me to do. But I remember telling my wife, I was like, this sounds so crazy. I don't know. She said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. So we went to a, county fair in Bartholomew County, Columbus, Indiana, this is where I'm from, but I wasn't living there then, but we're at a county fair, Bartholomew County Fair, and I was in the middle of this perplexing time, and I said to God, actually, I'll say say this way, I didn't, I felt like God said to me, now, hear me, you might think, well, how do you know, I, I, I felt like God said to me, you want proof that I'm speaking to you? then I felt like God was telling me, I want you to ask me if you can see Tim Wallace tonight at the fair. So I felt like God was saying, and I was like, okay, God, I'll take you up on that. If this is really you telling me to plant this church, I want to see Tim Wallace tonight at the fair. I didn't say it that way. I didn't stop and kind of give that. We were walking by the uh, display animal barns or whatever. And I didn't, I didn't pray out loud and, and I didn't say it. And Tim Wallace, long story short, I used to be a high school teacher. Tim Wallace was the guy who never went to church but had spiritual interests. So he always represented to me the kind of person I wanted to reach out to with Exodus, somebody who didn't have any church background but seemed to have spiritual interests. He had been a student of mine when I taught high school math probably 10 years prior, 15 years prior. Had not talked to him, had not interacted with him. He wasn't my friend. I didn't call him up to see if he was going to be at the fair that night. I didn't, I, already, I didn't even know if he was still alive. And the Bartholomew County Fair has a lot of people, busyness. So I remember I told my wife, I said, uh, I don't know why, but I think I'm going to see Tim Wallace tonight at the fair. She looked at me like, what are you talking about? I said, I, she never met him either. So we do our fair stuff, and we had young, our kids were all younger then, so I'm carrying balloons and cotton candy and all the things that you kind of... So we're going to the bump car rides, and I have these balloons... And I'm trying to figure, okay, I gotta get on I think it was I think I might have had Gretchen or Mark on my lap or with me and I thought I can't drive the bump car with a balloon, so I need to tie him up on the railing right here. And I'm doing this and this hand reaches out. Here I'll take those from you. And I look over there and it's Tim Wallace. <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> I still remember looking to Kathy and saying I still remember turning to Kathy and saying, whispering, what do I do with this? She's like, I don't know. Because she didn't, she was not as well, as I, neither were excited about the idea of starting a new church. But I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, I was like, well, now, I will say this. Later on, among the people, some people I knew, and that's not uh, necessarily, one person said to me, well, how do you know you didn't just make that up in your memory after the fact? How do you know you didn't just kind of have a self-fulfilling prophecy that you backed up into and then made it happen? And I'll say, this guy's name was Don. It wasn't Don. I said, Don, that's not what happened. If you're thinking I'm psychotic, no, I'm not. If you're thinking I was wanting this so badly, I, am, I reimagined the events of three hours, I said, no, that's not what happened. And he goes, well, I just wonder, maybe that's what it was. Maybe you just wanted it to happen so bad that you kind of rewrote the story in a fraction of hours. I'm just like, no. So when you do, and I I don't get those kind of experiences often. That was a significant one. But when you have those kind of experiences, people, even Christians, will question you. Really? Are you sure? You sure? How do you know? So, again, my challenge is simply... uh, you're willing to hear from God, however he wants you to communicate with you, and do whatever He asks. And usually what he asks you will be somewhat risky, it will cost you something, and it will lead you in a situation where you might be perceived as being foolish. Not only by non-Christians, but probably even by those people in the church um, who may not understand. But we do believe the invisible world's real, we believe it's good to have confirmation from wise people, but in the end, if God speaks to you, uh, you have to Stand before God and answer whether or not you've done what He asked you to do, whether it was a small thing like give money to a neighbor or a big thing like quit your job and move away and do something new. All right? So that's the question. So let's pray. God, we do believe uh, in the invisible world. We believe that we're not just creatures who are physical, who try to make ha- life happen for us and try to figure it out, but we believe that your spirit is real. And we believe your spirit uh, loves to talk to us through a variety of ways, always consistent with your word, but always um, even outside of our expectations. So, God, I pray for every single uh, woman and man here. I pray even, even for the children that are downstairs and the teenagers that are here because we know, God, even in the scriptures, you talk to children Samuel when he was a young boy you talked to Mary the Virgin Mary when she was a young teen so God there's nobody here who's uh outside of the possibility of you wanting to speak to them in significant ways so would you all uh God would you open up our expectations would you open up our ears And But most of all, would you give us the faith and the trust that when you do ask us to do something, whether it's a simple command that we see in Scripture or some significant thing we hear from you through other means, that we will do without hesitation what you've asked us to do. Because we know everything you ask will always lead to life and joy and goodness for others as well as ourselves. And uh, we want to be those kind of people, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we finish every Sunday. With